All right, if you come in and find your seat, please. Come on in and find your seat. And um, I hope you're really blessed by that first session. The next session will be better. And it'll just keep getting better and better until Sunday night. We're going to crescendo this thing to Sunday night. We, we need to stop at this point and... Um, let me just tell you a couple things. Um, I, I live completely by faith, okay? And, um, and, and, and I've been here a week now, and you've, you have hopefully not heard me pitch at all, making myself seem like I'm here for the money, because I'm not. I came here, I made no demands. I didn't set any expectations up. Um, I just, please feed me and um, give me a place to stay, and that's the thing. And, um, and I never want to be a burden on a church, ever at all. At the same time, the gospel's free, but it is not freely preached. We're going to be in eight different nations in the next 12 months. My plane bill flying coach is over 20000 U.S. dollars a year. Okay? So there's massive need, plus, plus we take care of orphans in South Africa. So everything that, that is sown goes into fertile ground. The Bible says this, it, a preacher's favorite verse is this, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that shall he also reap. We love that. And we should love it. It's in the word, and that's, that's the way it is. But the verse right before that, the verse immediately, the sentence before that says this, let him who is taught share in all his good things with him who taught him. For be not deceived, God is not mocked. A man will reap what he sows. What the rabbis taught about that was this, that when you hear a revelation that you want to wrap around your life, the best way for you to get it to wrap around your life is to sow treasure into it. And when you sow treasure into it, your heart follows the treasure and your heart actually wraps around the very thing you've sown into. So if you've heard something over the last week that's blessed your life and you want your heart to wrap around it, the best thing you could do is sow into it. I can tell you that God's going to take care of me regardless. I can tell you that God doesn't need you to give. I can tell you that I don't need you to give. I can also tell you that you need you to give. That we do. We absolutely do. So if you're here tonight and you're thinking, oh, I knew that was coming. All he wants is my money. Listen, if that's what you're thinking, keep your money. Keep your money. God will take care of me. But I don't want to rob you of a blessing that God has for you. So I want to just take a second. We're going to take an offering here in a second. And this entire offering goes to help us meet our expenditures. Obviously, I can't be out 52 Sundays a year. That's ridiculous. So I, if I take a Sunday off, I don't get anything. So I have to believe God for a week's worth plus a little bit more so that I don't have to be out every Sunday. And so um, I want to just take a second and I want you to pray about what God would have you sow. And I want you to give whatever God puts on your heart. That's it. No compulsion, no anything. Just whatever God says, obey. And whatever, I trust God to do that. And whatever God doesn't say, don't do. Whatever God does say, do. Just do. And I can tell you this, that every seed you sow is going into fertile ground to help us take this message to the whole world. Every seed you sow is helping us take care of orphans. Every seed you sow is going not to just bless yourself, but to bless the whole world. And that is godly. So, Lord, I pray for us tonight as we take the offering. I, I pray for every seed that's sown. If you just, if you just get your offering ready and, and hold it in your hand. And just want, I want to pray over every offering. Just get your offering ready and hold it in your hand.
You can just sense the presence of God coming over these seeds. I don't want you to miss out on that. I want you to just, with, with your offering in your hand, I want you to name it. I want you to name what you want God to wrap your heart around. What part of tonight's message, what part of yesterday's message, that you just, maybe it's the blood and the water, maybe you need hope flowing through suffering. Whatever it is you want your heart to wrap around, I want you to just call that into being inside yourself. Just inside yourself, just begin to ask God, God, wrap my heart around that. Make that true in my life. Make that true in my life. And Lord, I pray for every seed that it would be uh, given back a hundredfold. But, but bigger than that, I pray that the revelation that's been shared would wrap around the hearts and would become true in all of our lives. I pray that that seed would carry that now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. For those of you prepared to take the offering now, would you take the offering? And um, thank you so much for your generosity with this and at the resource table back there and just the, the whole thing has been fantastic. These seminars are such a good thing. Some churches charge for them. I don't tell the churches what to do. Some churches charge for them. I can tell you for this seminar, churches charge $60 a head. So if, if, if your offering is less than that, then you got a deal. They would charge $60 a head for the whole week. So um, some churches do it for free and take an offering. And um, you have a church that wanted to uh, be able to bless me, but also, and I appreciate that, but they also wanted to make it available to as many people as possible. I think that's fantastic, hey? All right. Let's turn to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 12. We've been talking about all night about demonstrating and then announcing. Demonstrating and then announcing. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. An interesting story happens. And um, this is the only time in Jesus' whole ministry that I can find that somebody does something so heinous that God kills him. That Jesus actually proclaims God is going to kill you. And it's not any of the sins you would think. It's not adultery. It's not fornication. It's not burning your children in fire. It's not idolatry. It's greed. And um, so I want us to e e examine this. Because we're going to be a group of people who want to bring heaven to earth and not just go to heaven one day. In verse 13, it says, And one of the company said to him, Master, a rabbi, speak to my brother to, to divide the inheritance with me. And he said to him, man, who made me judge or divider over you? Let me just start right there and explain what's going on there. This guy comes to Jesus and he says, tell my brother to do things my way. And in those days, it was, not a rab it was a rabbi's responsibility to create a yoke of a way of life. It was a rabbi's responsibility to teach the scriptures. It was a rabbi's responsibility to make sure we were living the right way. But in these matters, it was not a rabbi's jurisdiction to make legal decisions like this. He says, who made me judge or divider over you? And he said to them, watch. And here's his yoke. He says, I can't make a legal decision here, but I can make a yoke. Here's his yoke. And he said to them, watch and keep yourselves from covetousness. For a man's life is not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. So in Jesus' yoke, Jesus is not impressed 
by what kind of car you drive, what kind of house you live in, what kind of anything you possess. Jesus is impressed with how much compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love character is present in your homes. And he spoke a parable to them about this, saying there was a certain rich man. Now, anytime Jesus starts a parable, there's a certain rich man, it is not going to end up good. There's a certain rich man who brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself. Let's just stop right there. And he thought within himself. This is a very anti-anti-Hebrew statement. For, it, this is a very white person statement. It, it's, a very, it's a statement that the Hebrew people would look at us and go, oh, that's foolish. Uh, uh, we use statements all the time like, I just have to go work this out with myself. I just have to work this out in myself. I, I need to go think to myself for a while. Hebrew people would never do that. Never. Hebrew people thought in communities. As a matter of fact, we even talk about studying the Bible. We say, did you have your quiet time today? Now, is that a bad thing to do? No. I'm just simply saying that the Hebrew people were not even allowed to study the Bible alone. They weren't allowed to do that. The reason is, is because something as reverent and something as holy as God's word, they didn't want to open up people to error by opening it up to them individually. So you studied the Bible all the time, but you did it in groups. And you did it in the presence of a rabbi who, if you got off base, would say things like this. If somebody got off base in the discussion, they would say, you have abolished the Torah. In other words, you've gotten off base from the Torah. If somebody was on base with what the Torah was saying, the rabbi would say, you have fulfilled the Torah. So remember when Jesus comes and he says, I have not come to you to abolish the Torah, but to fulfill it. It was a common rabbinical phrase. It just meant, I'm not coming to go off base from the law. You think I'm threatening the law. I'm not coming to go off base from the Torah. I'm coming to show you what it looks like lived out. That's what I've come to do. And so for a man to say, I thought to myself, it tells you a lot in Hebrew culture about his attitude. He thought he was better than other people. He thought he could work it out on his own. This was not a common thought in those days. And he said to himself, saying, what should I do? Because I have no room in which to store all of my food. And he said, I'll do this. I'll pull down my barns and build bigger ones, and I'll store all my fruits and goods there. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, let me tell you what was going on there. Remember, we talked about this Sunday night. Who was ruling the world at this time? The Romans. They were paying 80% taxes. People were losing family land that had been in their family since the book of Judges. They were taxing everything. Herod was coming in and taxing things on top of things, on top of things, on top of things. There was people struggling to even eat. And this one guy has more food than he knows what to do with. And he thinks to himself, what should I do with all of my extra? Everybody around him starving. And he's going, I've got so much, I don't know what to do with it. Hmm. Like we look at that and go, you idiot, like what are you talking about? You don't know what to do with it. There's so much need around you. See, it's very easy for us to read over this. And as soon as we say there's a certain rich man, we, we dismiss ourselves because we don't think we're rich. But the truth is, is we're very rich. If you drove here tonight, you're in the richest 8% of the whole world, even if you only own one car. If you own two cars, you're in the richest 2% of the whole world. If you own two cars and tonight you drive home to a house with a roof on it, you're in the richest 0.5% of the whole world. We are the rich man. 
And this is a story about me, and this is a story about you, and this is a story about a group of people who are surrounded in the world by enormous need. The cry of the hungry is everywhere, and we have more money in our bank accounts than we know what to do with. We have plenty of food to eat, and instead of feeding other people, we build bigger barns to hoard things for ourselves simply so that our soul can be at ease and we know we're taken care of. This is a story about us. This is a story about me. It's a story about you. It's a story about our heart attitude to think we're actually better than what we are. And it's a heart attitude that hoards instead of gives. It's a heart attitude that says, all the needs of the hungry, that's not my problem. Someone else will deal with that. The actuality, the truth of it is, is to be leaders in God's biggest idea, we have to take the heart attitude that says, it is my problem. That we can bring heaven to earth by making it our problem. Now watch Jesus' response to him. But God said to him, you fool. The word fool there is the word offend. It's the, way we, it's the word we get the word diaphragm from. It's where we get breath. In other words, he's saying, you breathless one. You person with no effectiveness. You're living all to yourself, offend. To call someone offend meant you have lost all of your effectiveness. It's not the same word for idiot. It's, it's offend. It's, uh, it, it's, it means your ability to convert oxygen to carbon dioxide has ceased. It's almost like you're dead already. Mm. You fool. This night your soul will be required of you. Then who shall all these things be which you have prepared? Mm. So it is for he who lays up treasure for himself, but is not rich towards God. So let's get real challenging tonight. You want to get challenged? Let's get challenged. And I'm, I'm just right up here with you. Like, this challenges all of us because I'm rich and you're rich. And uh, can we just admit we're all rich? We're just rich. Did you drive here tonight? Yes? You're rich. Very rich. How many of you know, know homeless people here? Good. So we're all going home to homes tonight. You're very rich. We're in the top 1% of the whole world sitting in this room. Top 1% of rich people in the whole world. Let me ask you a question. Have you laid up treasure for yourself without being rich towards God? In this passage, being rich towards God means taking into account other people's needs first. Where have we written a check to make one more investment so that our soul can be at ease where that check could have easily went to feed the orphans? Is God against investments? No. Is God against wealth? Absolutely not. God does not. God wants us all to be wealthy stewards. But the key there is the word stewards. He wants us to be wealthy stewards, not people who sit around and think to ourselves, I don't need to meet the needs of the hungry. I'll keep building bigger barns for myself so that my soul can be at ease at the expense of somebody else. This man had starving people right outside his front door, and he was building bigger barns so that his soul could be at ease. Do we find any of ourselves in that story? Has anybody besides me, we've all done it, I think, has anybody besides me ever saw a legitimate need, 
legitimate. I'm not talking about laziness. The Bible clearly says don't help a lazy person lest you enable that laziness, okay? I'm talking about HIV AIDS orphans. I'm talking about Sudanese refugees who can do nothing to help themselves. Has anybody besides me seen an opportunity to help those people and we turn the channel or we turn our head to it just so we can keep that one little bit of $50 extra in our bank account so our soul can be at ease when we've got plenty of money to meet that need? Are we demonstrating and then announcing? Or are we standing at the rooftops announcing with no, gem- with no demonstration? Being rich towards God is about meeting the needs of others first in this passage. And in doing that, and I'm going to talk about this Sunday night, in doing that, it actually saves our soul as well. That it looks like poor people need our help, but in actuality, we need their help help. The poor people need us to feed their belly, but we need the poor people to keep our hearts humble, remembering that the Lord our God brought us out of Egypt without us deserving it, and that is why he commands us to meet their needs first. That we are called to be a group of people who make it our problem. We are supposed to make it our problem. Now, I want to close this night out by looking at Luke chapter 10. This is another story Jesus tells, which is kind of disturbing. Luke chapter 10. Now, before we start this, I, I need to teach you something Hebraically, okay? That in, in Hebrew culture, they, um, when they read parables, they do not read parables for content. We read parables for content. They read parables for identification. They're always asking themselves, who am I in the story? That's why, what have I done for a week here? When I read a story, I'd say, are you finding yourself in there anywhere? They, they read the parables for identification, for identification. So normally a parable starts out with a question. Somebody is asking a question. So person A is asking Rabbi B a question. And Rabbi B answers person A by saying, let me tell you a parable to answer your question. And the answer to the person's question comes in who does the person identify with in the story. Does that make sense? You with me? All right. So with that in mind, let's look at the parable of what we call the Good Samaritan. Okay. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. It says, And behold, a certain expert in the law stood up and tempted Jesus. That doesn't really necessarily mean a bad thing. It just meant he was asking him a question, okay? He was testing him. Saying, Rabbi, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Very common question in those days about the rabbis. The, the, the word eternal life doesn't mean I get to go to heaven one day. It means olam haba. It was the word olam haba, which meant eternal peace with God, harmony with God. So what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And and he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Which is another very common thing. So Jesus says, um, Jesus is trying to figure out whose yoke he's under. Who's your rabbi? So he says, uh, what what have you heard? How do you read that? How do you read that? Of course, this was an expert Pharisee. He probably was his own rabbi. How do you read it? What's your yoke say? And answering, he said that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And um, and with all your mind. And, And then to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you've answered right. Do this and you'll live. In other words, we agree. Our yokes are the same. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And it says, but he, willing to justify himself, said to Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? Which is an awesome question, isn't it? Like, he says, okay, we got to do two things to inherit eternal life. Number one, we need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But number two, we have to love our neighbors as ourselves." 
So, since we have to love our neighbor as ourselves, then in order to inherit eternal life, there is a group of people on this planet that we actually need to learn to love like we love ourselves. So we need to define who those people are. So the Pharisee says, the expert in the law says, okay, Jesus, here's our box. Tell me, who's in there that we have to love like we love ourselves? Who's in there? Because obviously I'm in there because I can love me like I love myself. But who else is in there? Maybe my wife, uh, my children, some church people. Who's in this box? Who's my neighbor? If, if I have to love my neighbor like I love myself, then, then who is my neighbor? So, so what question is being asked? What's the question? It's not a trick question. I just said it. Who is my neighbor? So this whole discussion is about a, a Pharisee asking, who is my neighbor? And so Jesus tells him a parable. And so he's going to tell him a parable to answer the question, who is my neighbor? And the answer to the question, who is my neighbor, is going to be found in whoever the Pharisee identifies with in the story. You see how their culture works, okay? So Jesus is going to tell a story, and whoever the Pharisee identifies with in the story, that's who his neighbor is, okay? That's who's going to be fitting in that box, all right? So here he goes. He says, the answering him, Jesus said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among some robbers who stripped him of his clothes and wounded him and left him half Dead. Now let's remind ourselves, okay? Who is asking the question? The Pharisee. Who is answering the question? Jesus with a parable. So the Pharisee is looking for who he identifies with in the story. So there's this guy, he gets beaten, he gets left for dead, okay? Would the Pharisee have identified with that guy? No. All right, so we can go on. And by coincidence, a certain priest. Now there's going to be three characters. There's always three characters in a Hebrew parable like this. There's three characters that are going to come by. And by coincidence, a certain priest came down that way, and seeing him, he passed by on the opposite side. So let's talk about that for a second. So there's a priest, and he comes by, this guy that has been beaten and been left half dead, and he passes by on the other side of the road. Would the Pharisee have identified with the priest? No. Why? Because the priests were Sadducees. All priests were Sadducees. They were Torah only. The Pharisees were Torah and the prophets. So as soon as Jesus said there's a priest, the Pharisee might would have tuned out. Plus, our tendency is, when we read the story, is to think bad priest. You're supposed to help the person. Bad priest. Bad priest. That's not necessarily the case. The, it, the, the Torah said that it is against the law to touch someone who's bleeding out. It also says it's against the law to leave somebody for dead. So no matter what this man did, he's going to be breaking the law. So he's not necessarily a bad priest. So how do you determine if either way you go, you're going to be sinning, how do you determine which sin to do? Would you want that responsibility? If you leave him for dead, you're sinning. If you touch a person bleeding out, you're sinning. So who made those decisions? Who made the decisions to determine in that situation what sin do you do? Who made those decisions? The rabbis. The rabbis did something called binding and loosing. And in situations like that, they bound their followers to certain behaviors and they loosed them to certain behaviors. And the principle was called 
cal ve comer, which let me say that in English, light and heavy. So the principle was called light and heavy. If you're into the Hebrew, it's cal ve comer. So the rabbis in their yokes had to determine what was the light sin and what was the heavy sin. Okay? And you wanted to do the light one, not the heavy one. All right? So, so the rabbis, so the, the law says you cannot touch someone who's bleeding out. If, you're ble- if they're bleeding out and you touch them, you're a tamay. So you're not supposed to do that. But you're also not supposed to leave somebody half dead. So either way, the guy's sinning. So this guy's rabbi would have had a yoke. And in that rabbi's yoke, he would have determined, is it the lighter thing to touch someone who's bleeding out, or is it the lighter thing to leave somebody half dead? And the priest would have done whatever the lighter thing was. So maybe in this priest's life, his rabbi said that the heavier sin is becoming TMA by touching blood. Maybe he was just obeying the yoke of his rabbi by binding and loosing. Maybe that's all that was happening. So the priest steps over him. And the Pharisee's going, okay, that's not me. So he says, okay, the next guy comes by, and and he's a Levite. And he passes by on the other side of the road, too. He passes by on the other side of the road, too. Now, would the Pharisee have identified with the Levite? No. Why? Same reason. They were Sadducees. Levites and priests came from the same place. They were Sadducees. So the first guy's a Sadducee, and the second guy's a Sadducee. And once again, is it bad Levite, bad Levite? Or was he maybe just following the yoke of his rabbi? Maybe the yoke of his rabbi said, I can't touch someone bleeding out. It's best that they leave them for dead. Maybe that's what was going on. And so in a Hebrew parable, there's three characters. And and if you're not the first, and you're not the second then you have to be the third. So this Pharisee would be going, ooh, 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 who am I? Who am I? And Jesus said, oh, there's a third character, and he's a Samaritan. And this Samaritan, and a certain Samaritan came upon him, and seeing him was filled with pity. And coming near, he bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine and set him on his animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And going on to the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I come back, I'll repay you. Then Jesus lowers the boom. Then which of these do you think was a neighbor? So what's Jesus saying? Let's remind ourselves of this, okay? Who is asking the question initially? The Pharisee. Does the Pharisee identify with the priest? No. Does the Pharisee identify with the Levite? No. Does the Pharisee have to identify with the Samaritan then? Yes. So what was the question the Pharisee was asking? Who is my neighbor? So in other words, who do I have to love like I love myself? And Jesus says, the Samaritans. The Samaritans. In other words, let's say it this way. Um, according to the yoke of Jesus Christ, the people that we need to love like we love ourselves are the people we hate the most. Hmm. 
Look at his reaction. Then which of these three do you think was a neighbor to those who fell upon the robbers? Verse 37, and he said, the one who had mercy. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. In other words, the guy couldn't even say the Samaritan. He couldn't even say his name. The Samaritans were untouchables. They were horrible. They, they, they were less than. They, they were hated amongst the Jews. And Jesus says, if you want to inherit eternal life, you have to learn to love the people that you hate the most, just like you love yourself. And, and, and by the way, the people that you hate the most, oftentimes, it's you. You're just projecting your stuff onto them. That's all. And, and oh, and... By the way, what is Jesus revealing about his yoke here? According to the yoke of Jesus Christ, which one is the lighter sin? To show mercy or to leave somebody half dead? Jesus wants us to show mercy because he says, go and do likewise. In other words, in my yoke, the lighter sin is to touch someone who's bleeding out. The heavier sin is to leave somebody for dead. Someone who acts like a neighbor does that. And his third axiom is this. So his first axiom is what? Who is my neighbor? Who's the guy's neighbor? The person who he hates the most. What is the yoke of Jesus Christ concerning it? Go and do likewise. Show mercy. And then the other thing is this. This is so cool. He tells the guy, you're asking the wrong question. You're asking who is my neighbor because you want to get away around it. But I tell you that the real question is, how can you be a neighbor? That you should never ask yourself the question, who is my neighbor? Because the question, who is my neighbor, gives you too many outs. The question is, have I acted neighborly today? So, my brothers and sisters, who today did we act like a neighbor to And who today did we not? If we had to stand in front of Jesus today and based on this passage ask him, do I get eternal life? Would he look at us and say, yes, you acted like a neighbor? Or would he say, wait a minute, what have you done? Mm -hmm. Who in our life right now, who in our life right now do we actually believe we're better than them? So, so let me just ask us a couple questions to close this night out. Because I, I hurried through this so that you won't get mad at me. Number one, where in our life right now are we too independently minded? In other words, where are we not aware of the cries of the hungry? Where are we only aware of ourself? Number two, How are my actions affecting other people? When you choose not to sow into the kingdom of God, how far is that effect going? When you choose to turn your back to the cry of the hungry, how far is that going? Hmm. Number three, where do I need to share in my good things now? Where do I need to make it my problem? Where do I have 
an extra $300. I have $300 extra a month of income that's not allocated to bills. So at the end of the month, I have $300 and I can either save that $300 or I can bless somebody else with it. Where have I chosen to bless instead of to hoard? It's a good thing to save too. They were commanded to save 10% of their income. Number four, hard question, who do I hate the most? Who do I hate the most? Normally, it's people who are different than me. Who do we hate the most? Is it the people over there with towels on their heads who blow people up? Do we hate them the most? Jesus said, if you want to inherit eternal life, you have to learn to love them just like you'd love yourself. Who do we hate the most? Who do we hate the most? Number five, how can I be a neighbor to someone today? How can I be a neighbor to somebody today? Maybe you can write a check that feeds some orphans. Maybe you can sow into some ministry you believe in to help them. Maybe you can give a phone call tonight before you go to bed to someone who needs your encouragement. Maybe there's a hundred different ways you can be a neighbor. How can you be a neighbor today? Last question is this. There's no answer to this. This is just something we need to ponder. How can making a decision to be a neighbor actually save our own soul? Maybe the decision to love someone you previously hated humbles your heart to the point that brings you closer to God and it actually brings wholeness to your own self. Maybe. How could your decision tonight to be a neighbor actually save your own soul? I bless you tonight to know that you serve a God who believes in you more than you believe in him. He's so humble to make us leaders in his biggest idea. He trusts us. He believes in us to take his message, the cross of Jesus Christ, that life, to demonstrate and then announce. May we be a group of people who always have our hands wrapped in the tassels, never anything more, never anything less. For when we serve the tassels, we are serving wholeness. But when we unwrap the tassels, we unravel wholeness. May we be a group of people who serve the compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love God by being neighbors to everyone, including those we hate. God bless you really good tonight. We'll see you back tomorrow night. I hope you enjoyed that. God bless you. Come on, people, let's appreciate Shane for his ministry tonight. Thank you, Shane. Enjoy yourselves tonight. Fantastic. Uh, Go over the questions and have a good think about what Shane said. And uh, be back tomorrow night. Maybe you didn't have, uh, come prepared tonight to bring an offering for Shane. Make sure you come back tomorrow night with, uh, come back prepared. So uh, have a great night. Be blessed. And hope to see you back tomorrow night. Thanks, people.